This morning is going to be a little bit different in that I have one simple message that I hope I get across this morning. That simple message is this. God loves you. God loves you. I know that for many of you, you may have needed to hear that this morning. You came in here with just a ton of weight on your shoulders, on your back, and you needed to hear this morning that God loves you. Maybe you were recently in a relationship that didn't work out the way that you wanted it. And you need to hear this morning that God loves you. Maybe for you, you're a single mom and you see how life is just unraveling before your eyes. You're kind of at the end of your rope and you came here this morning and you needed to hear that God loves you. Maybe you're a husband and your wife just walked out the door. She was tired of putting up with the same old habitual habits that you continue to practice. And you need to hear this morning that God loves you. This morning our message is going to be simple. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. It's the fourth gospel of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to be in chapter 3, and we're going to cover one verse, and that's John chapter 3, verse 16. Now, Wikipedia has referred to this verse as the most widely quoted verse in all of the Bible. In fact, most say that this is the Bible's most popular verse. John 3.16 has been described as the Mount Everest of Scripture. Because this verse, although it is very, very simple, the the depth of this verse goes far beyond our intellectual capacity. John 3.16 is known as the gospel in a nutshell. It's referred often as the hub of the entire biblical narrative. There are 31,000 verses in the Bible, but only one is referred to as the heart and the nucleus of the redemption story. And that is John chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to pray together, and we're going to ask God to open the eyes of our hearts. Then we're going to read this together, and we're going to dive into a very simple sermon focused on the reality that God really does love us. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning, and we ask that you will first fill us afresh and anew with your spirit. God, we pray that it will be very obvious that you are present and among us this morning. We pray that our ears will be turned on and we'll hear anything and everything that you want us to hear. God, we pray that you'll open up the eyes of our hearts, as Mark said a moment ago, that that these things that we hear won't just dwell in our heads, that they'll make it to our hearts, and our lives will be forever changed as a result of it. I believe that there is someone here today who needs to hear this simple message, that God loves them. I believe we all need to remember and to be reminded that, God, you really do love us. So I pray this morning that you'll make that extremely clear to us this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. We're going to read John 3.16 together. Many of you know this verse, so because you know it, let's read it together as a body. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish 
but have eternal life. I said this this past Christmas, but few would dispute the greatness of this verse. Why? Because greatness is literally in every single word of this verse. Think about it. It says, for God. God is the greatest being. It says he so loved. Loved is the greatest affection. And when you add so to it, you're taking the greatest affection to the greatest degree. So the greatest being, so loved, the greatest affection to the greatest degree, the world, that's the greatest extent of humanity that he gave. That's the greatest act of generosity, especially when you consider the greatness of the gift. He gave his only son. That's the greatest gift who would go and make the greatest sacrifice for me and you. That whoever believes, that is the greatest invitation, that is the greatest decision and opportunity that we will ever make in him, that's the greatest choice, should not perish. The greatest promise of the greatest escape. But that's the greatest alternative. That's why it's referred to as the greatest conjunction in all of the Bible. Have eternal life. That's the greatest assurance of the greatest possession that you and I would ever possess. So no doubt John 3.16 is indeed arguably the greatest verse in all of Scripture. Because greatness is in every single word. But the question I want to put before you this morning is really simple. It's like this. What makes the love of God so great? Why is the love of God a breathtaking reality to those of us who know Jesus Christ? There's four things I want to dive into this morning. And when you walk away this morning, I hope you can say without a shadow of a doubt that you know that God loves you. Listen, when I say that God loves you, there are some of you that are in this room, you find that really hard to believe. Last night at 1230, I got a phone call that woke me up from my sleep. I found out that a friend of mine, more like a brother of mine, was found dead in his home. And if I'm honest with you, there's moments when things like that happen, you wonder, why God? And you have to be reminded in those moments that God hasn't failed, God hasn't given up, that God still does love, and he loves you. Now, when I say he loves you, I'm not talking about generally speaking like he loves you, he loves the world. He does indeed do that, but God loves you specifically. God loves you, and no matter what you're walking through, no matter what obstacles are in front of you, no matter what struggles you have, no matter what pains you from your past, God loves you this morning. The one who occupies the chair that you're sitting in. He loves you. We're going to see that throughout this time together this morning. The first thing I want you to see is first, I want you to see the span that the love of God reaches. The span that the love of God reaches. It says, for God so loved the world. That God so loved the world. When we talk about the span that the love of God reaches, the first thing that we need to see is that God, God's love, it reaches everyone. His love reaches everyone. His love reaches all people in all places at all times. The love of God is big and the love of God is global. Notice this word. It says, for God so loved the world, do you realize that the world covers the entire span of all humanity? That there's not a person that exists on planet earth that God does not love. That includes you. This covers the entire span of all humanity. God's love reaches every man and every woman and every child that was ever born on every continent. 
That's the span that the love of God reaches. Listen, church, it doesn't matter if you were born in America, if you were born in Asia. God loves you. It doesn't matter if you were born in the heartland or born in the Middle East. God loves you. It doesn't matter if you're lower class, if you're middle class, if you're upper class, or if you have no class. God loves you. And that is an undeniable reality this morning that no matter where you come from, God loves you. No matter what you're going through, God loves you. No matter if you doubt it or if you embrace it wholeheartedly, God's love does not fluctuate or change. He loves you. Now listen, the biggest mistake that you and I can make this morning is if we assume that I'm talking about the person that's sitting next to you. I am talking about him or her. But I'm specifically talking about you, and I don't want you to dismiss the idea that God might not love you because he does indeed love you. And some of you, you walked in and you know that you are drowning in your own individual sin, and God still loves you. Isn't that weird? Isn't that amazing? That there's nothing you can do for God to love you less. And there's nothing you can do, for those of you who are righteous, for God to love you more. The, God, the love of God never changes. He loves you. God's love reaches everyone. But the second thing I want you to see regarding the span the love of God reaches is God's love is timeless. God's love is timeless. The Greek word here for loved speaks to the totality of God's love. This Greek word here for loved actually is a very close sister to the Hebrew word that's found in Jeremiah 31 verse 3. This is what God says there. I have loved you with an everlasting love. That word everlasting love is a sister to this Greek word for God so loved. See, the Hebrew word here in Jeremiah 31.3 means from vanishing point to vanishing point. There has never been and there never will be a time when God does not love, period. There's never a time because it is who he is. It's his nature to love. So there's never a time and there never will be a time where God does not love. God's love covers, listen church, any shade of gray. God's love covers every uncertainty in your life. God's lover covers all of your worries, and God's love covers all of your fears. It covers every obstacle that you'll ever face. It covers every struggle you'll ever encounter. God's love never changes. Listen, God's love is perfect. His love is faithful. His love is unconditional. His love is forgiving. Some of you need to hear that. His love is all-encompassing. His love is pure. His love is lasting. His love is sacrificial. God's love is strong. God's love is enduring. God's love is persevering. God's love is refreshing. God's love is redeeming. God's love is everlasting. God's love is full. God's love is inspiring. It's hope-filled. It's gracious. It's merciful. And this morning, we're not even scratching the surface of his love. This is who God is. This is what God does. He is a God of love. But notice what Jeremiah 31.3 says. Who is God's love for? Let's read it together again. It says, I have loved, say it, you with an everlasting love. So everything I just told you about God and his love is true, not only for your mom, your dad, your kid, your spouse, it's true for who? It's true for you. And some of you need to understand this, that God loves you. You can scratch through that if you write in your Bible, if you would like, and put your name there. Listen, this is how I would read it. I have loved Trey 
with an everlasting love. And if I'm honest with you this morning, church family, there are moments in my life where I really do doubt that. Maybe a a sin that I get entangled in and I'm thinking, man, how in the world could God love me after making that mistake? Maybe it was a short temper or something that I said without thinking. And I think, man, how could God still love me the same way he did yesterday after saying all of that? And some of you, you're in the same place. You think God can't love me because I got pregnant out of wedlock. Do you know that God's love has not changed for you? Now, the sad reality is maybe the love of some of the people in the church has changed, unfortunately. But God's love has not changed for you. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, you know what? I'm going through a divorce. My life is unraveling. God can't love me because I'm the reason that we're walking through this and I'm painting my own family. And God is reminding you this morning, no, I love you. Maybe you've wrecked your life. Maybe you've wrecked your family. Maybe you've made a bunch of bad decisions. Maybe you can't give up the bottle. Maybe you can't quit. Maybe, maybe you struggle with thinking about what you're going to say before you say it and thinking especially about how the person is going to hear it after you say it. And you keep making that same old blunder over and over and over again. Listen, no matter what you're walking through, The truth of the matter is, is that God loves you. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. His love is for you. What I'm asking you to do this morning is to not reject that reality. The enemy is crafty, and what he's going to do is you start telling yourself in the power of the Spirit, God loves me. The enemy is going to start bringing to the surface all the reasons God should not love you. And you have to counter that with the truth of the gospel that God does love you and he loves you with an everlasting love and there's no way ever that you can out his love. Now that doesn't give us the license to go and start sinning freely because we know that his love won't be exhausted. No, we won't want to do that if we love him. But what it does do is it allows us to comfort ourselves with the reality of scripture of knowing, you know what, there's nothing I can do for God to stop loving me. The first thing we need to see is the span, of, the span that the love of God reaches. It reaches everyone and it reaches at all times. The second thing I want you to see this morning is the sacrifice, the love of God made. So we see the span by which he reaches. Now I want you to see the sacrifice, the love of God made. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know what I find interesting in scripture? A lot of times the word love and give go hand in hand. You know why? Because love is not merely a noun. It's a verb. Love shows action. So when he says, I love, he also gives. In this case, he gave his only son. See, church, you can give and not love. That's easy to do. Some of us do that every Sunday. We give, but we don't love. But you can't love and not give. The rationale of all giving is the basis of love. We give because we love. It says God so loved. You can't dismiss that two-letter word, that simple word that we want to skip over, that word so. That word so adds intensity to the love of God. He doesn't just love you. He doesn't just love the world. He so loves the world. This word indicates the enormity of the Father's love, the magnitude of the Father's love. His love is an active and not a passive love. Remember what he said? For while we were yet sinners, 
God died, Christ died for us. But what does he say at the beginning of that? He demonstrated his love in this. God didn't just tell you that he loves you. No, he went and demonstrated his love for you. And he didn't just demonstrate his love for you when you were living the picture-perfect life, the Instagram life. No, he did it while you were yet a sinner. He demonstrated his love by the sending of his son. And here it even adds that he gave, he acted upon his love for you. Giving is a tangible expression of love. The question is, what did God give as an expression of his love? He gave his only son. There's a rule on our universe that some of us know, some of us don't. This will be new for you, but it says this. The value of the gift is a measure of the affection behind it. Some of you have heard that rule. The value of the gift is a measure of the affection behind it. Some of you remember as Christmas is approaching, some of you will remember being a child. And maybe if you were raised like me, we had a den in our house. And then the den was where we put our Christmas tree. And my parents would put presents under the tree before Christmas so that we can know what they got us for Christmas and we would be able to unwrap them on Christmas Day. But one of the things my sisters and I we would do is we would go down in the den and we'd start weighing out the affection of our parents by looking at whose name was on the largest gift. And some of you did the same thing because you thought that whosever name was on the biggest gift, man, that meant that they were the favorite child. They were the one who was loved the most. The affection or the, the value of the gift is a measure of the affection behind it. That's how we look at it as a kid. But not much changes when we become adults. Not much changes. Listen, let me tell you how. My granddad, Papa Jay is what I call him. My Papa Jay uh, was in World War II. And he got shot in World War II. And the bullet penetrated his book bag. But there was something in his book bag that prohibited the bullet from making it to his skin and penetrating his skin. Thank the Lord. So that bullet goes in. His people that were with him saw a fire coming out of his book bag. They took it off. They put it on the ground. They started stepping on it. put it out. Had no clue what was inside of it. And as they started to unwrap, or, you know, open the book bag, they realized, man, you got shot. Like, this was a bullet. There was a piece of flack that was in that bag. Well, I was doing a project in elementary school, and I was telling my Papa Jay about the project I was doing, and he told me that story. And he told me I could borrow that piece of flack and take it to school as a part of my project. Now, he, came, he, he gave me very stern warnings with that, like, you better not lose it. You better make sure it never leaves your possession and all other things. Why? Because that was valuable to him. It was a reminder of the brevity of life for him. It was a reminder of the grace of God to him. Well, guess what? That became important to me because the relationship that I was sharing with my Papa Jay was spared because something stopped that bullet that was in his bag. So I got to share that story with people. Now, many of you know in Winter Robins, Georgia, there's a museum of aviations. The museum of aviation caught wind of that story, and they went to my Papa Jay, and they asked him, hey, we would like for that, that, that story, that piece of flack to go into one of our, our cases so that it could be on display. And my Papa Jay was thinking, well, you know what, I, it's just going to sit in my drawer. I might consider that reality. Well, then after that school project, I go back to my Papa Jay and I tell my Papa Jay, hey, I love you. This means the world to me. When you pass, would you mind leaving this to me? My Papa Jay, without a doubt, without hesitation, looked at me and said, it's yours. It's yours. My dad has that in his possession today. It will you know, it'll be passed on to me. And you're thinking, it's a piece of metal. It's a piece of flack. Like, to you, it would have absolutely no value at all. But to me, it has value. It has sentimental value, not financial value, but there's still value there. And the fact that my Papa Jay gave that to me shows me that he's demonstrating his love because he'd rather that be in my hands to be carried on rather than in a museum in a case for other people to hear the story. 
Again, the value of the gift is a measure of the affection behind it. The value of the gift is a measure of the love that's given. By this logic, the greater the gift, the greater the love, God must have immense affection for us since he gave the greatest gift as a demonstration of his love for us. You understand that? Like there's no greater gift that God could have given for us to realize how much he truly loves us than the gift of his son clothing himself in human flesh and doing what we could not do for ourselves. God loves you. That's the sacrifice that the love of God made. There's a third thing I want you to see this morning. Not only the sacrifice that the love of God made, but I want you to see the solution that the love of God brings. The solution that the love of God brings. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. The logic in this verse is that apart from the love of God, we all would perish. Every one of us. We would have no hope. We would perish apart from the love of God. The Greek word for should not perish is not talking about a state of extinction. The Greek word here is talking about a state of torment in a literal place called hell. I know that we don't talk about this enough in the church, but I want to say this very clearly this morning. What you believe about a literal place called hell will alter the way that you live your life. If you believe it, there is a literal place, it will alter the way that you live. It will. If you believe it's just a fairy tale and a fictitious thing that somebody has made up and, you know, did, did out of fear, whatever the case may be, then you'll live your life in that reality. So this morning, for some of you, you have to decide today what you really believe about a literal place called hell. And here, Jesus is talking about it. John's talking about it. Should not perish is talking about a state of torment in this place. See, the gospel is this. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What's the word all mean? It means all. Does all include you? Yes. Is there anybody in this room that would say that all doesn't include me? I'm exempt from that. No, it includes you. Every single one of us have sinned, and every single one of us falls short of the glory of God. All of us do. That's what the Bible tells us. So we're all guilty because of that. See, Psalm 51 tells us that we were born into this world into iniquity. It was in sin that our mothers conceived us. So we're sinners by nature. But more than that, we sin by choice. Nobody had to teach us that when it was Halloween and we had all this candy and our parents put it in this place and said, don't you eat any more candy, that we went in there and we snuck a piece and ate it. We didn't only commit a greater infraction of the law against our moms and dads. Even in that moment, we committed a, a, a gross infraction of the law against God. That's called sin. Because we did what our parents told us not to do. It's sin. It's our nature to be that. But here's the beauty of the gospel. It doesn't end there. The Bible says that the wage, the price of our sin, is what? It tells us the role. Yes, it tells us it's death. That is eternal separation from God. Sure, it doesn't mean that as soon as you sin, you physically die, but physical death is a result of sin. What it's talking about there is that there's, as, at the moment you sin, now you're eternally separated from God because sin can't dwell in his presence. So now our greatest need is for someone who has not sinned to come and die for that sin so that we can be reconciled back to God. And that's the gift that God gave us in Jesus. That's the beauty of this gospel. That's what John 3.16 is all about. Listen to this. It says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now listen to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. Church, condemnation is not the specialty of God. And some of us live our lives like that. Like God is this, this judge who sits on this throne waiting for us to mess up so that his hand of retribution can come upon us. That's not a God of love. God is not, he's not, he doesn't specialize in condemnation. He specializes in love. Look at the rest of the verse. But in order that the world might be saved through him. The cross of Christ provides a way of escape from our condemnation. He, Jesus, is our rescuer. The solution for our sin is not only the sacrifice of the Son, though, church. You, you start to think, well, the solution is the sacrifice of Jesus. It is the sacrifice of Jesus, but it's not only the sacrifice of Jesus. See, the solution for our sin is not only the sacrifice of, of the Son. It's much deeper than that. Listen, it's also the love of the Father. It's the love of the Father that drove the sending of the Son so that you and I can be restored to the Father. Think of 1 John 4, 9. It says, in this the love of God was made manifest. How was the love of God made known? How was it made manifest among us? That God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. See, the Father was aware of our sinful condition. The Father was aware of your sinful condition. The Father was aware of my sinful condition. But listen, someone needs to hear this. He loves you too much to leave you that way. He demonstrated that love for you through the sending of his Son. He provided a gift, the Bible says, for us. You understand the reality of gifts, don't you? See, some gifts satisfy a desire. Man, I've always wanted that. And you gave that to me? That satisfied a desire of something I've always wanted. And some gifts satisfy a need. This is why you get t-shirts at Christmas, because all of your old t-shirts have like deodorant stains on them, and you need new, you know, you need new t-shirts and socks for Christmas. Some gifts satisfy a desire. Some gifts satisfy a need, but the gift of Jesus satisfies both. How, Trey? Our desire is that we would have a relationship with someone who would fully satisfy our hearts and lives. And we know this is a desire because we enter almost every relationship in humanity this way. I'm getting in this relationship with you because you make me happy and you're, you're satisfying a desire that I have. A relationship with someone who fulfills me, something I'm lacking. But what we have to understand this morning is the only one who can ever truly satisfy is God. And secondly, not only does it satisfy a desire, but it satisfies a need. Our need is that we not spend eternity apart from God. Our need is that we not perish. And there's nothing that you and I can do in order for that to happen. So Jesus came and did everything necessary for us. So that if we would believe in that gospel, if we would place our faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, then we could be restored into a relationship with God. So this gift of the Father satisfies both. But why? That's the question is why? Why would he give us this gift? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. 
Because he loves you, he gave you a gift that satisfies both a need and a desire in your life. So his love is so deep for us that he provides a solution to our sin through the sending of his son. And then there's a fourth thing this morning that I want you to see, and it's this. I want you to see the security that the love of God offers. The security that the love of God offers. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is one of those things I love so much about God. It's like as soon as the story gets good, it keeps getting gooder. You know what I mean? Like you don't think the story can get any better than that, and then he does something else that shows you how it can get even better than that. What do you mean, Trey? It's enough that God gave us a way of escape from our sin. It's enough that God gave us a way of escape from a literal place called hell. And if that's all that salvation were about, it would be enough. But he says, I'm not finished yet, Trey. I'm actually going to give you eternal life with me. That means you're going to have life with me forever. Forever. That's how good the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Listen, John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life. Watch what it says. And they will never perish. Once you've, been, once you've gained eternal life through the gospel of Jesus Christ, placing your faith and your trust in the finished work of Jesus, there's nothing that will cause you to perish. You are forever a child of his. And then it says, no one will snatch me out of our hand. Now, how, how much security does that give you as a child of God? Knowing that even after you surrendered your life to Christ, you're not going to be perfect. God is conforming you into the image of his son. That's a fancy word called sanctification. It just means you're becoming more and more like Jesus every single day, that you are a work in progress. And that because you're a work in progress, there's going to be moments even after you know Jesus that you're going to make some mistakes. And to know that when you make those mistakes, nothing can snatch you out of the hands of God. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that good news? You know, let me give you this illustration. When, when River and I go to Walmart or to Target, okay, we got to walk across traffic that's going both directions. And River grabs my hand, or I grab River's hand, and we start walking across that traffic. If I'm dependent on River's grip on my hand, he's going to let go and run, and maybe plummet to his own death. It's, it's possible. But if River's dependent on my grip, then he's going to be safe and secure, because I'm going to hold tightly to him and not let him go. And that's the way your salvation goes. It's not you holding on to the hand of God. It's God holding on to the hand of you. It's keeping you safe, keeping you secured, watching over you and not letting you go. You know why? Because you didn't do anything to save you. You didn't do anything to save you. God saved you because he loves you, because you cried out to him for salvation, knowing that the only way that you would ever be rescued from your sin is by calling out for the rescuer to rescue you. And when you did that, he holds you in his hand, not you holding him in, in yours. That's the beauty of this gospel. Now, the question you might be asking, and this is how we're going to conclude. The band's going to come out. This is how we're going to conclude. Why do we need John 3.16? Why do you need that this morning? Why does our church need that this morning? Why would I choose on a day like today to preach this one single text of Scripture? There's four reasons. These four reasons are going to be built on the foundation of the points that we just walked through, okay? So I want you to watch how we come full circle here. Reason number one, you ready? Understanding the span of God's love gives us a bigger vision of his church 
and a passion for lost people who don't fit the paradigms we create. Is that on the screen? It's up there. I want you to be able to see this. Understanding the span of God's love gives us a bigger vision of his church and a passion for lost people that don't fit the paradigms we create. Oh man, there's no hope for that guy. We've been trying, we've been working on him for years. He's still the same old drunkard he was back then. That's a paradigm that we've created. And when we understand that God loves all people and he doesn't give up, that he continues to pursue, he continues to chase, and he did this for them, there's no one, the Bible says, absolutely no one who's outside the reach of God's amazing love. God can save anyone. You have a sibling, you have a cousin, you have a family member, you have a friend that you think, man, that person's just way out there. He's, he's way out there for you. He ain't, too, he ain't too far out there for God. God can do a God-sized work that can draw that person's heart to God. It changes the way we perceive things when we understand the span of God's love. It gives us a bigger vision for his church. This is why the church exists. Do you know that the only way that God chose to try to redeem the world was through the local church? It wasn't through any other ministry. That's why they call parachurch organizations. They assist the church. They're supplemental to the church. But God created the church. This is his baby. This is his organization. This is his organism. And he uses the church to bring salvation to the lost. And when we understand the span of God's love, there's nowhere that you and I would not be willing to go to take the love of God to those people. There's nothing that you and I would not be willing to do to show and put on display the love of God for those people. The second thing I want you to see is understanding the sacrifice of God's love leads us to eliminate any excuses that prevent us from being fully committed to his church and his mission. When we understand the sacrifice that God made for us, it makes it really, really easy for us to make sure that this is a priority in our life. Guys, I don't want to say this because I, I get tired of being the bad guy sometimes, but I think one thing that God has just given me an ability to do, and I, I pray for wisdom every single day on this, and James says that he'll give it to me. And I hope that this will, will land the way I intend. COVID is no longer an excuse for missing the gathering of the saints of God on Sunday morning. It's just not. Perfect love, Jesus, cast out all fear. That's Bible. And we can't continue to live in fear every single day of our lives. You need, you need, when you belong to God, you belong to each other. We're the family of God. One of the things I loved about um, the two families that were up here a moment ago, and I, I wanted to say this, is I have kids of my own. And I love how my kids have the freedom to just, just run all over this building. And I know that you, as a part of our family, are going to love on them, take care of them. I love seeing teenage boys on the floor with my four-year-old, five-year-old out here in the hall because he's playing war games with them. I think it's hilarious that teenagers would do that with a five-year-old. But it shows me that they love my son. And it shows me my son loves them. He looks up to them. He aspires to be like them. The same thing is going to be true for the two guys that were up here today. It's a family, and we need a family. The third thing I want you to see is understanding the solution of God's love keeps us focused on the one thing that really matters. And that's not our travel ball schedule. It's not our family events and family plans. The one thing that really matters is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then fourth and finally, understanding the security of God's love gives us the confidence to know that our sin is not more powerful than his blood. Isn't that good? Good. 
There is nothing, the Bible says, that we can do to out the love of God. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Ma'am, sir, on the floor in the balcony, if you hear nothing else, hear this. God loves you. And this morning, right where you're at, I want to give you a chance to respond to the love of God. God said, I love you so much that I'm going to do something to prove my love. I'm going to demonstrate it that while you are still a sinner, I'm going to send my son to die in your place. He's going to take all your sin upon himself. He's going to go to a cross, and he's going to die, though innocent as as he could be, he's going to die for your sin and not his own. He's going to resurrect from the grave three days later. And if you'll place your faith and your trust in the finished work of Jesus, you too can be saved. The Bible says there in Romans that for all who call upon the name of the Lord, all who put their faith and trust and confidence in that reality and that gospel can be saved. And Right now, this morning, we got to celebrate last week watching some people make their faith public through baptism. We got to watch a few people say, you know what, I'm tired of living for me. I'm ready to go all in with Jesus. They came down six to eight people and made decisions to follow Christ. I don't ever want get to get over that. We're going to get to see them baptized in the weeks ahead. But here's the deal. There's still some people here today that know Man, I am overwhelmed by the love of God for me. And the only response, the only appropriate response is that I begin to love him in the same way that he has first loved me. And today, maybe you've realized that, you know what, I need a love that satisfies both a desire. I'm tired of looking, for, looking to the things of this world to satisfy when only God can. The reason you're empty is because only God can fill it. And I'm also going to look at this love that not only satisfies a desire, but satisfies a need. The only hope I have from this day forward is if I have a relationship with the King, Jesus. So today, if you are here this morning and you want to make a decision for the first time to place your faith and your trust, listen, this is bold, this is courageous, but you know what? Jesus hung on a cross in front of a bunch of people while they spat on him and mocked him and ridiculed him. You can come forward while people clap and support and celebrate you. If you are here today and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, I again want to invite you to the front, and I would love to help you do that. Right now, if you're here and you want to make a decision to follow Christ, we would love for you to come forward. If you're a pastor on our staff, would you go ahead and come forward, get in place? Anybody? Father, we come to you this morning and we are so amazed at how much you love us. God, we don't ever want to get over and take for granted how how much you love us. God, as we discover who we really are, we, we see ourselves as almost unfit to be loved in that way. But yet, because of who you are, you simply love us. Today I pray and I pray and I pray that there's a man, there's a woman, there's a child who doesn't know you and wants to know you. I pray that you'll give them the courage and the boldness to come and talk to one of these pastors and to tell them that they want to know you. 
God, help us not only declare you with our lips, but help us declare you with our very lives. We know that there's so many people who don't have a relationship with God, and we pray that the love of God for us will change the way that we relate to them. Help us put you on display. Help us do it for your honor and for your glory.